2, The Witchfinder General. Please visit www.goldenagehorror.com for more information. So this month, we're going to talk about The Witchfinder General. This is a 1968 horror movie starring Vincent Price, directed by Michael Reeves, and um, this is... The least rompiest of them all. This is not very rompy. Um, it is, it's produced by, it is an AIP movie, so it's the same studio that okay. uh, had all the Cormac Poe movies made. Yeah. And it does even have one of those PBS intros. It does have a PBS intro, and it's, there's con- continuity there um, in that uh, the reason that Vincent Price is in this movie is it's because when AIP bought the rights to make the movie or whatever, however that works, yeah, they forced Vincent Price into the film <laughs> as a star, because he was their contract star. Right. Um, and then there's like a tenuous Poe connection. Uh, it's like the alternate title. The alternate, yes, the alternate title is the Conqueror Worm, which is um, literally just an attempt to sort of create continuity with the Poe Corman movies because yeah. there's no the Conqueror Worm is is a prose poem in the in uh, the post story Legia and has no connection to. Which finding? Yeah, which finding? Or this, this, this is based on a novel um, by. Uh, hold on, what do I find out? This is based on a novel that Michael Reeves bought the rights to. I sure hope he did. Uh, Ronald Bassett's 1966 novel Witchfinder General, which is based very loosely on a historical figure named Matthew Hopkins, a self-described witchfinder who claimed to have been commissioned by Parliament to prosecute and execute witches. And then, uh, parenthetically, Hopkins is ne- in fact never given an official mandate to hunt witches. So it's kind of like, it's loosely based on a book which is loosely based on history. Yeah, correct. So it's pretty much not based on history at all. Yeah, I mean... It depends on what you mean. I mean, Matthew Hopkins... It did end with all the names... <laughs> all these characters yeah, are fictitious. They, they wanted to, like, dis- but I mean... Despite that, John Stern and Matthew Hopkins are both real people. So is Oliver Cromwell. And Oliver Cromwell, yes, is also a real person, for sure. I can't speak to the Roundhead, uh, Richard Marshall, or any of the other characters, Sarah, all that, but... His bullcut friend... Yes, but there definitely was a man Tim. named Matthew, there definitely was a man named Matthew Hopkins who did basically um, travel around East Anglia, the East Anglia region of England, and like claimed to have been uh, put by Parliament, but wasn't, but and killed three hundred women between yeah. sixteen forty four and sixteen forty six. Just kind of went on a regular witch hunting murder spree. Yeah, he did. He, uh, he's responsible for six. Percent of the um, in the 14 months, of, according to Wikipedia's article on Matthew Hopkins, um, Stern and Hopkins were accounted for 60 percent of the deaths. Uh, 60 in the 14 months of their crusade, Hopkins and Stern sent to the gallows more people than all the other witch hunters in England of the previous 160 years. Yeah, so that was a pretty impressive little killing spree. Um, would you like to recap the movie, or would you like me to recap the movie? I can recap the movie. Okay. It's pretty simple, so... It starts off with a priest. Mm-hmm. And introduces you to this nice priest and his niece, right? Yep. And then, like, her husband, who's a, who's a good old rebel soldier, 
Right, because he's with Cromwell. Yeah, uh, at this point, they're not even really rebels. Or, they've right. already won. Okay, all right, but they're... What, what are they calling them? Because they're... The, um, the royalists and the, the parliamentary soldiers? Yeah, the parliamentary soldiers, yeah. And then, you know... It's they're, like, oh, look at all these nice people. And then Vincent Price trots in the town with his good old buddy Stern. Mm-hmm. And then they, you know, find that the priest is clearly possessed by Satan because he keeps, he gets poked and they, he bleeds. Mm-hmm. And well, then, no, because well, the thing is, they couldn't find the Satan mark on him. They couldn't find the Satan spot, but <laughs> they were pretty sure it was a witch. <laughs> so they just continued as as they were, unhindered by the failure of their tests. So yeah, so then they locked him in jail and he was gonna kill him, but then he's like, well, let's. They're like not only is he just like an indiscriminate murderer, but he's also just like pretty much a rapist at the same time. Yeah. He's like, well, no, like if you give me a little something, Sarah, we'll save this priest. And then that goes on, and then then the priest dies anyway. Well, yeah. Then Stern, who's yeah. his compatriot, for just out of spite, rape, yeah. goes and rapes the woman that. Uh, is providing Matthew Hopkins with sexual favors. Right. And this, of course, disgusts Matthew Hopkins so much that he just can't... I guess I... He can't continue that affair. Right. Kills the, he decides he no longer wants the sexual favors and just kills the priest anyway. Right. And then... And then... But then leave Sarah to her business. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, he hasn't... She suffered enough. I, I don't think Matthew Hopkins was worried about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so then, you know, they give him a good, like, slap therapy where you just slap them until they tell you they're a witch. Yep. <laughs> It doesn't seem to work very well. No one ever, no one ever admits to being a witch. Yeah, not really. I don't really see anyone admitting to be a witch in this movie. Like never. I assume there must be like some people who are just like, okay, I'm gonna die anyway. I'm a witch. Just get you know, get the witching done over. And like, let's get to the witching time, you know? Yeah. Like a whole hour of witching. Let's get to that. <laughs> the witching hour. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So then you know he burns it. Then Richard. Richard. Yep. Richard gets mad. Sure does. Understandably. <laughs> very understandably. And then he goes hunts down old Matthew Hopkins. And kills him with an axe. Yeah. After a, after a bit of a scuffle. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's a whole there's, bunch. There's a, there's a bit in between. Stern, yeah. Stern gets captured by parliamentary soldiers, gets away, stabs a couple people. I, I would say this movie is most notable. Well, maybe not most notable, but one of the, one of the most notable features of this movie is how lovingly... It seems to uh, depict torture for a movie this time. Yeah. Like, I feel like if this movie were made today, if Michael Reeves, the director, was making movies today, he would undoubtedly be treating us to some kind of Saw-inspired... Yeah, he'd be so happy. ...Civil War. He'd be like, oh, he'd be like he, you would, like... The camera would focus on each little, like, poking for the devil's yeah. mark, and you'd see, like, the, you're going And it's like... the you see like the skin tear and then like the blood ooze out and I mean and I understand what he's trying to do I think the most the, the most um, telling scene in the movie as far as his mission and the mission of this material is that uh, part when the woman is latched to the ladder and being lowered into the flames yeah and you and they just the camera seems to be really panning back and forth between uh, the townspeople just staring at dispassionately, and there's like a baby crying, and it's just. I think that that was the that's the mission of this movie is he's indicting torture and witch hunting, indicting us, the, the viewer, people, the people for for numerous charges, but like 
importantly, like the vials that are re wreck upon each other in the name of um, religion and in the name of um, politics and government and just and just yeah, and general paranoia and just how generally how we would and how we um, luxuriate in torture and violence, like how we would gather the, the whole town square hanging mentality. Yeah. I think that's it's sort of like this is the, it's sort of like a dark mirror situation. I always find that to be a bit like if the premise of the horror movie is like look how horrible this is aren't you people horrible for liking this here's right. some more of it oh here's a guy getting kicked by an axe I always find that a bit like that's that's spurious. that's the argument that comes up like recently with like Fury Road yeah where it conveys a lot of the same message but it doesn't show any of it like it conveys you know the impression that you know there's a lot of violence towards women but it doesn't show any of it mm. it's, but you, you as you as a viewer understand that it's yeah. happening and I think that's I think that's a lot. It, it, if if it's done in a if Fear of Road was excellent, yeah. And if it's done in a way that, um, like Fear of Road, where they convey that without luxuriating in it, yeah, without, without bathing just, in it, and they're just like, oh, it's so good. I'm going to show you all yeah, of it. I think that's much more effective than the, the method this movie uses. Because I saw I read an article recently where someone was comparing like they were talking about things like this. I think the the impetus was Fight Club, yeah, and how everyone misses the point of Fight Club, yeah. Because it spends like an hour and a half worshiping at the altar of Tyler Durden, yeah, and only to forsake him in like the last minute and a half, yeah. And they said like you know I think there were studies like it doesn't work in kids movie kids shows if you just you know show bad behavior for a little ten minutes and then in the last minute you say well you shouldn't do any of that yeah I mean, if you make it, if you make I mean Tyler Durden looks wicked cool yeah so by the end of, by the end he's not a cautionary tale he's a martyr yeah I mean I wouldn't say that. Uh, Matthew Hopkins looks wicked cool in this movie. No, he doesn't. At the but, same time, like you're not. But it, 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 the difference is, it's like it's not like a cautionary tale. It's like a you know an, a horror splat fest. Yeah, it, it's not. Re- yeah, you're like, wow, isn't it cool? Isn't gore cool? Yeah, you know what I mean. And then you're like, all these horrible things that happen to people. Like you, this is just tropes of the genre. Yeah, but and that's that's. I think that's a big failure of this movie. So I I've never I don't love this movie I know this is like a movie that's often brought up as one of the best top 10 it's like one of the top 10 horror movies of all time or top 15 horror movies of all time okay and I don't like I thought I don't hate this movie I don't think it's a bad movie no I don't, but I don't think it's a particularly good horror movie and I think it's I mean I think Price I think Vincent Price does a good job in this movie yeah um, as far as showing that he can play an actual more villain. straight not a just more straightforward role. Not like a cartoon villain. But I do think he's miscast in this movie. Alright. You're saying he's you're saying maybe better suited as a cartoon villain? I think, yeah, I think he's better at that. I don't think he, like I said, I think he does a good job in this movie. Yeah. And I think that's, I think it's actually one of the, his, his on-screen charisma is one of the things that keeps this movie afloat. Yeah. Through the slower bits. But it's just, it's just such an unpleasant movie. And it's not clear... That it, that it works to the right effect. Right. And, and the, direct, the director, Matthew Reeves, is sort of someone who has acquired a posthumous reputation because he died... He was 25 when this movie was made. Okay. He was considered kind of a boy genius. Yeah. And he died of a drug overdose nine months after this movie was made. So this is his last movie. Oh, yeah. So that kind of, that kind of thing generates mythology. Right. Um, so, like, there's a, lot, there's a lot of good things about this movie. Like... 
it being an English Civil War movie is kind of interesting. It's not a ton of those. It's not like a mytho- It's like a mythological movie. Or like there's no supernatural, especially when you put in like the you know AIP. Yeah. Canon. Yeah, it, it definitely. I mean, it doesn't fit. It doesn't when you're watching it. There's yeah. no. There's no overlap. No, like there's no sound. Like it's all actually filmed on lo- like actual locations. Yeah, there's a lot of exterior shots. As opposed to like those foggy, like sound stages. Yeah. Which is like a nice for like breath of fresh air. Mm. It is very. It's a very distinct movie, and it, and it. It's definitely more ambitious than those movies too. Yeah. Like he definitely. I mean, whether or not he's his his um, intent was what the intent that I sort of interpreted. Yeah. Or if it was something else, or if it was just a statement on like, uh, man's inhumanity to man, or whatever it is. We're all we're truly the real monsters. Yes, yeah, man is the real monster. I understand. We're, it's sort of like the overarching thesis of all horror movies of all of all art ever made. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we're bad people. We're bad to each other. Yes, I understand. But um. It, it, it's definitely like he's it's, he, he he went the he you know there's like a, in the last podcast we talked about um, the mask of the red red death reaching for something that the seventh seal had yeah the thematic exploration I think this is sort of a midpoint between the two yeah where he did took a little more time and he's maybe a little smarter than the people who made the mask of the red death and there's but like there are like there are like really I think there are very strong shots in this film mm. like when they're leading everyone to the bridge to do the fake drowning like the way that like the crowd kind of like pools in mm. like streams in like a, like they just sort of flow in and the part where they are lowering her onto the fire it's like just quiet and from a far distance and then just like slowly she catches mm. and and I I don't also like this movie is generally disturbing and horrifying yeah. I mean especially like when you watch it at first and you're sort of you're sort of like oh this is a Vincent Price movie yeah this is an AIP movie you, he, especially watch the intro because he's like he's like I am Vincent Price I'm doing my he's doing his Vincent yeah. Price thing yeah he's like tales of horror and wonder and then you watch it and you're like oh this is a grim fucking movie oh it's just like people being murdered yeah and raped constantly yeah it's just it's very it's just unpleasant people doing unpleasant things to each other well I mean not everyone's unpleasant but there's a lot of unpleasant people in this movie and, and Vincent Price plays a very unpleasant person who doesn't have any redeeming qualities and then um, meets his end in a very gruesome, unpleasant fashion. Which looks a little goofy. It looks a little goofy today. But even I would say the first time I saw it, even. It just... The it's, the act just like bounces off of it. I mean, it could be yeah. because this is like the second or third time you've seen this movie. Right. So maybe you're starting to like... But I think the first time it's, that you see it, it's very effective. Yeah. Because it's like... It happens a lot faster. The first, I mean, the first time you see something, you miss a lot of details. Yeah. Or, or the, or you, your brain doesn't catch everything. Like, at the second or third time you see it, you're, you you don't have to worry about what's happening. You can worry about the other stuff. You can look at, that's where you start to look at the people in the background. That's where you can see the wires and the bats on the strings. And the, <laughs> you know what I mean? But, like, the whole the whole bit there at the end when the guy, like, loses his mind. Yeah. Like, no, the bit afterwards is good. I guess, you know, in repeat viewings, it looks... For like something that's like such as big and hefty as an axe, it just like it hits like a bat. Yeah, well, I mean, the thing is, Andrew, they didn't watch. They want to mutilate Vincent Price. <laughs> I understand. Why not use a fake Vincent Price? So they're using they're using oh, like just get someone else to get mutilated. <laughs> no, like like a dummy Vincent Price. I mean, they didn't actually hang all those people or burn that woman. Mm-hmm. In a, in I'm not a, sure you know how movies work. <laughs> I thought I did. They, they're using a camera. This is not this is not pictures. This is actual. This is like recorded. They're recording things. 
Yeah, I know, but they can record fake things. Mm, I don't think you know how cameras work. Um, I guess it, there were no disclaimers that said no people were harmed in the film of this movie. That's true. There was many people harmed in the filming of this movie. Especially during that. Yeah, because it has like parts that are like kind of weirdly... like It's got that goofy, kind of like 70s-styled fight scene in the bar. Mm-hmm. It's got a lot of those... like. It's got two of those dives. Those good, those good old fight scene dives where it's just like I, I got the higher ground and I, I left forwards like arms forward like I'm gonna choke you midair or something, mm-hmm. and he lands on top of him and it's like I get what they're going for because they need a fight but they're just like uh, how do you direct fight scenes we don't know how to direct fight scenes. Yeah, I mean I just don't think like fight choreography just hadn't reached the point that we're used to today. Cause it's cause it's there you can go like. You can have, like, very stylish and well-shot sort of, like, fight scenes, but for something like this, it'd be, like, you would want something that feels more visceral, probably, and more, like, high impact. But this feels like... It feels like goofy sci-fi fights. Mm. It feels like, you know... It feels like Star Trek 1966. Yeah. It feels like James Bond wind-up punches. Yeah. Yeah. Richard might as well be... Might as well have been fighting, like, a giant lizard. That would have been fun. <laughs> I, I just wanted to put his like his hands together and do that thing, <laughs> like the hammer thing. Hammer <laughs> smash. Yeah, or the axe, the axe smash. Oh yeah, but like, I've I've been I've actually started watching the original series. The original series is great. I'm like five episodes in. It just never stops. It's the gift that just keeps going. Because <laughs> when I originally started looking it up, it was like I wa- I looked at like you know to watch guides and like they had you like skipping like every episode or something. I'm like that's weird, but then like you know. I feel like you really need to, like, watch all the episodes or something to, like, really get a feel for what's going on. I think it depends. I think there's shows where you can skip a lot of stuff. Yeah. But I don't think Star- I don't think the original series is one of them. Because I, I don't think there's, like, there's not too many really shitty episodes of that. There's, like, a few not-great episodes, but, like, there's just not that many episodes of that show. Like, yeah. just might as well just watch them all. There's a lot of good stuff. There's, like, good stuff in every episode, pretty much. Right. Just one little good bit. Like, someone recommended, like, you skip, um... One of the first ones where they all start getting like fake drunk or whatever, mm. but that has like s- like Sully running around shirtless like with a fencing sword. I don't know why you would skip that one. I don't know. That's great. <laughs> like even if even if the first episode was like wasn't great, that part is like ridiculous. That that I mean enjoyable. that show that show to me is is Star Trek. Like there's, and I grew up with the Next Generation being yeah. the Star Trek that I watched, but like I caught that later, and that's just like that's that's what I wanted in Star Trek. That show. There's nothing else that I want. <laughs> Out of a science fiction show, just like silly people in outfits. Just yeah, like, it's like this is like the space age, and like we're in the future, and everything's great. Our food gets made by robots, but we have to fight yeah, lizard man. people <laughs> on, on planets, gladiator style. Because why not? And there's constantly an invisible threat. There's two instances of strange people with super psychic powers, like two episodes after each other. Yeah, the, well, the one like Gary Marshall one is—is is it Gary Marshall? Is that his name? That's the one that's not the kid, right? Right. Yeah. Um, the kid wants like Charlie or something a nice kid name and it's like he's like it's got that thing that happens a lot in these things where like this guy is supposed to be like this unkillable killing machine or whatever yeah. and then all of a sudden Kirk fights him with his fists and wins <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's like he's like I'm gonna he's like I made a grave for you Kirk for me he's like James T. Kirk grave <laughs> but he actually didn't say it's like James like it was actually like oh that's like that's a that's a goof I know that because that's his middle name is like Tiberius, but it was like something else, it was yeah. like L Kirk or whatever. Yeah, so the goofy fight scenes, like that's so it kind of mm-hmm. like takes you out of that first thing. Yeah, they, I mean they they tried to make that fight scene more brutal, but there's a lot of like pro wrestling style, like throwing, latching your whole body situation. There. Yeah, the, the, a lot of wind up punches. Yeah, 
Um, Which is, I guess, weird considering how, like, down and dirty they got with everything else. And, like, hacking Vincent Price with an axe. Mm. Also, that guy's whiffed magic air punch. Yeah, yeah. Towards the very end. That's a great. That's a great uh, stunt. I don't know if you call it a fail or whatever, but it's like just a very obvious stage punch with no, like no, no pretense of connecting with anyone's flesh. Like it just wasn't shot right or something. Like yeah. it was very clearly like you get the perfect view of the fist not connecting. Or they mic'd like the whoosh a little too much. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this movie is one of um, a few movies in this time period that's like. There's like a subgenre called folk horror, which I'm quite fond of. Okay, yeah. Uh, most famously, I think The Wicker Man is the, probably the best folk horror movie. I like The Wicker Man a lot. Wicker Man's a great movie. This movie is also considered in that genre. And there's another movie called that we should watch eventually called uh, Blood and Zane's Claw, uh, which is quite good. I think I don't know if you consider like The Oblong Box and The Cry of the Banshees, which are both Vincent Price movies. Those sort of are similar. I I, I would have to before we talk more about folk horror. I'd like to like read exactly what qualifies it but the three movies that I always hear brought up are The Wicker Man The uh, Blood and Satan's Claw and The Witchfinder General um, and I, I know there's a modern movie called A Field in England which is quite good which is sort of a spiritual uh, successor to those movies it's actually another English Civil War movie I guess when you think of folk horror, you think of like um, small towns mm. in like um, rural areas I know that's the, that's one of the keys is that and then it Ideally, you got a little folklore twist. Mm, that's I think it's a combination. Yeah, I think you're which is which is what these things have. They're small towns in rural areas, and they've got witches and wicker men. Yeah, it's a hor- it's a hor- it's a, supposed to be the horror of the countryside. Yeah, and then also maybe folklore. Um, there's also there's a lot of stuff um, on the internet about the f- onset feuds between uh, Michael Reeves and Vincent Price. Uh, Vincent Price was basically forced on Michael Reeves. And then they had a very contentious relationship as far as uh, he, uh, Price never felt like Reeves was communicating what kind of performance he wanted him to give. Yeah. And then um, Reeves was just very resentful of having to work with Vincent Price instead of... Anyone else he wanted to cast. The, the person he wanted. He wanted to cast Donald Pleasance, apparently. I don't know you know Donald Pleasance is. Yeah. Donald Pleasance is uh, the doctor in Halloween. It would be Halloween. I've, he yells a lot. He's also played Blofeld and... Um, couple Bond movies. You're losing me here. He's in a bunch of he's in a bunch of stuff. He probably is. He's very he's like a famous actor from the seventies and eighties. I think I've seen Halloween once maybe. He plays the doctor who shouts a lot in that movie. <laughs> he's, he's, he's a great like shout he's a great like he's a great hysterical shouter. He's also in a episode of The Rivals of Sherlock Holmes. He plays oh. Karnaki the Ghost Finder. <laughs> Wait, what? The Rivals of Sherlock Holmes? Yeah, it's a show called The Rivals of Sherlock Holmes. Is that like a spinoff? Or is, uh, it, is that like a, kind of like a forgotten? Uh, yeah, forgotten. <laughs> it's basically, it was made in the 70s, and it was a, it's a BBC show, and it's like um, contemporaneous, because Sherlock Holmes was magazine fiction. Yeah. He was in the, he was in the Strand magazine. So it's contemporaneous detective fictions for magazines, and they adapt them. Okay. So other sort of detective type characters or otherwise alright so there's a couple uh, it's like an anthology show so oh. each there's like each episode is like a different adaptation of a story and one of them is a Karnacki the Ghostfinder story and uh, that's like a supernatural detective 
And Sherlock Holmes in these, or is it just no, like, that's just the namesake? The rivals of Sherlock Holmes are like detectives that was a rival of Sherlock Holmes. Oh, okay. So it's a story for the detective that was a rival of Sherlock Holmes. And there's, some of them are detectives, some of them are like gentlemen thieves. Oh, yeah. But it's sort of crime stories from around that time. There's, there's some good ones, and there's some less good ones. Right. So make sure you pick it's up probably on Amazon Prime for a little price of thirty dollars a season or something. Yeah, that six episodes a season. Go ahead and pick those up. Ooh. I'll go ahead and put an Amazon link in the show notes. Just use that. Get that referral money. Yeah, I could put it and make it affiliate link. I just think I might. I mean, why else would you? What else would you do? Or if you want to come over some night, I think I have both seasons on my Amazon Prime account. So Ooh. Anyone who's out there, go ahead and uh, give just, me a call. Just stop by. Stop by. We can watch the Karnaki the Ghost Finder episode and the other good ones. What are the other good ones? I can't remember the guy's name. There's a guy who plays like, a, like a crooked detective. Okay. And he's the protagonist. And in both times, I think he ends up like coming across someone who's a little bit more crooked than him, and ends up doing the right thing in the end, but only, only because only by accident. <laughs> only because luckily there was someone more crooked than him. Yeah. So that was the those were stories good. Um, I guess it would have been weird for. The back of Vincent Price and their working relationship, like you, you know, compared to working with Corman, who like cranked these things out. The impression you give is that Reeves was more of a um, more of a thoughtful director. He certainly considered himself an artist. I would say much more than Corman does. Who probably just considered himself like maybe more of a filmmaker. Yeah, Corman, I think, considered it workmanship, crafts. Yeah. Not, maybe definitely a craft, but maybe less of a. Art. He, he's a, he was aware of the commercial. Yeah, he was less of his ass about it, you might yeah. say. Where, I mean, Reeves is making art. Well, he certainly thinks he's making art, but he's making a, <laughs> a low-budget horror movie. Yeah. So you can infuse it with as much art as you'd like, but you still only have you know X amount of dollars and X amount of days to film it. Hey, you know, he, he got it outside. He did get it outside. And, uh, you know, obviously we've talked about this movie a little bit, and I... And I'm not sure how successful it was um, as art, but I mean that's. I guess it. I guess it depends on the spectrum of art. Yeah, and I, I certainly don't think we're equipped to answer that question. And like the spectrum of horror movies that I've seen, it it falls pretty high on the spectrum of art. Mm-hmm. But like on the spectrum of just general films that I've seen, it probably falls pretty low on the spectrum of art. Yeah. It does like a, a couple neat things, but. It's not like, wow, this is impressive. Like, look how this is. I just don't think it has, like, maybe it's, I don't know if it's a maturity issue or whatever, but I just don't think, I think with all the, the way it, again, I'm coming back to the thing I said before about the way it, um, I don't think it intelligently depicts torture. No, it just kind of relishes in it. Yeah. And I know, like, that's probably something that would have come with time for Michael Reeves, because he was a smart guy. Yeah. Apparently, but it didn't happen in this movie. You know, I'm going to bet that's a tricky thing that a lot of people don't do right. No, I'm sure. I mean, it's it's hard because he, he is making a horror movie. Yeah. And he just decided to make... If he was going to make a horror movie, he decided to make the most sadistic and unpleasant horror movie he could do in 1968 for 83,000 pounds. Yeah. And it can be hard to... If, if it's your, one of your first goes at it, to make, you know... I want to make a horror movie that speaks against violence. This is one of the... Uh, one of three movies that Michael Reeves made. Ah. So I will, at some point, we'll procure The Sorcerers, which is a movie he made around this time, starring Boris Karloff. All right. So I believe that movie's also highly regarded, though not as highly regarded as this one. So what do you think about uh, The Witchfinder General? What's your verdict on this? My verdict on this? 
it definitely feels like more of a movie than a lot of the um, like it's it's it feels more like it's meant for film than a lot of the Corman movies did. Mm. If to reiterate a point, I reiterate every single time those feel like kind of like stage plays that they happen to film. Mm. Yeah, for the most part, I can see what you mean by that. With the exception of like maybe the Mask of the Red Death, where they play with color a little. Well, Mask Mask of the Red Death, I don't think feels like a stage play at all. Right, because there's a lot going on in that movie. There's like there's 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 the cast is a lot bigger. Yeah, and it's um. Yeah, it's, the, it's certainly he's trying... In The Masquerade, I feel like he's trying to make a kind of an epic. Yeah. And also there's a lot of um, psychedelia, psychedelia and stuff. But for the most part, a lot of those movies are very, like, simple sets, mm. simple shots. Yeah, the, like in The Usher and The Pit and the Pendulum, it's... Those are completely... Those can completely be plays. Really, and you would, really, you would hardly notice the difference. They wouldn't, I mean, they could pull those off easily as plays without really, yeah, like you said, any difference at all. Except maybe it would be hard to get a really good pendulum. Yes, I suppose that particular shot. And also, like, the, the horses riding onto the matte paintings of the <laughs> castle on the beach and all that, but... But that's that's a minor detail. Yeah, I mean, those that's, like... Symbolism. That's not... I don't think that would be hard for a play to move, move past. Right. But Masquerade Up, I feel like it would be a lot harder, because there's a lot of... A lot of it's internally. Yeah. The characters and a lot of it's psychedelic. And this movie, because um, it's sort of outside, it's a war picture, and there's a lot going on. It'd be a little trickier to. Uh, and it seemed like there was more attention paid to sometimes specific camera shots. Mm. Yep, that's true, probably. And so, stacked up against, what do you? How you compare this movie to The Master of the Red Death? I would say I probably still like The Master of the Red Death more. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, this one, it gets too weird. It gets a little in that kind of, like, skeevy territory with it's, you know, it's, like, violent and sexual violence mm-hmm. for, like, you know, the women in the movie are just sort of there to be objects of sexual violence. Yes, that's true. It's definitely true. Or just regular violence. Yeah, do, I don't even, like, does she just have any dialogue in this movie? Or I she's, think she, I she's think got, like, barely any dialogue. I think she screams more than she actually has lines of dialogue. And I think all her dialogue is, like... Describing things that had happened to her, or offer yeah. herself to Vincent Price, or there might have been a line of dialogue earlier when she she can't even speak to another man about something other than another man. Yeah, it's this. Yeah, this, <laughs> this one fails the. I don't. I don't think. Bechtel, I, I don't think you can apply the Bechtel test to this. No, <laughs> I think that breaks the Bechtel test. It doesn't even come close. Which is like, it's that's a. It's such a weird thing that's come up, like, throughout the ages, because it's like, I don't even know, like, I think Alison Bechtel herself has been, like, stepped away from it a little, because, mm-hmm. like, you know, this isn't, like, the ultimate, or am I confusing, I, I'm i not sure if that's true, or if I'm confusing that with, um, because it was, you know, the term, like, Manic Pixie Dream Girl that a guy created, mm. that he stepped away from, because people were using it to describe real people, when the term was literally to describe women who are not real. Yeah, it was. It was just, I thought it was event basically for that character in uh, Elizabeth Town. I think it was. Oh, I thought I was thinking maybe it was, but I was thinking the Zach Braff movie with Natalie Portman. No, she's a good. I think she's a shining example of it. But I think it was literally for he Elizabeth like in a. Town. I think it was like an. I think because he worked for the AV Club. It was Nathan Rabin. Hmm. Came up with the term. I think it was a review for Elizabeth Town. And you know, it was to describe women who literally do not exist in the real world because they're just devices for wistful young writers. I went and saw Elizabeth Town in the theater when it came out. Yeah. And uh, I remember the projector broke 
<laughs> with like 15 minutes left and we just like shrugged and looked at him and we're like that's okay <laughs> we just left <laughs> I just never felt any real reason to see the rest of that movie you didn't feel inspired like no if only there was a muse like that in real life I mean we didn't actually I, like it was kind of like at the point where like you already knew what was going to happen no oh. you were going to like everything was still in the air oh and it still didn't matter <laughs> it was so completely irrelevant it was like I don't really care it's not, I don't even want to they just generated no interest in those characters either. Of them. Yeah, so it's like, I I don't think, I don't think a movie. I don't know. I would be surprised if a horror movie that we watch ever ever passes the Bechdel test. Yeah, I think modern horror movies probably do. Yeah, Maybe well, there was a, eventually a shift where like the female lead became like the default lead in horror movies, right? Yeah, especially around like the sort of slasher era. Yeah, but I don't think those those are good examples the, of like oh, feminist type. No, characters. no, they're they're definitely not. But um, some of them would probably say, take like swipes at the idea of feminism. Well, yeah, I mean, definitely they they move to like having agency in their own fate. Yeah, to they, some extent, they're having dialogue that consists of things besides screaming. It's still not. I wonder when we're gonna see like our first like. Okay, they're they're. Uh, like white zombie aside, what's what's gonna be like the first horror movie that has like a non-white person in it? Well, I know that for episode fifty, we're going to do the Night of the Living Dead. Okay. And the Night of the Living Dead, the protagonist is a black guy. Well, like that's also George Romero was like com- very consciously thinking about things yes, like that. Yes, those movies are very socially conscious. George Romero is he quite the very yes, forward, quite the social justice warrior. <laughs> He's very good as a social justice warrior. But I don't, I don't know too many others that we'll watch because I don't. I think we're gonna. After, I mean, we did the fly, but I don't think we're gonna do any other movies past nineteen seventy nine. So, so basically, no hope is what you're saying. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I would, I would, I would count. I would look forward to like movies passing the Bechdel test. Or, um, I mean, we're gonna, we'll probably watch Cat People. I think that movie might pass the Bechdel test. Oh. Um. But like, literally, no non-white people. Uh, I guess it's the Living Dead. <laughs> we'll see. I mean, we'll see what we can do. We can watch. Um, blank on the title of that movie but there's a a movie actually starring the guy from the living dead a vampire movie that I think we're gonna watch okay because um, I, I thought about that like after like we keep bringing up this constantly like oh you know what all these movies are awful just all white people yeah well I mean that's that's the problem with Hollywood in general yeah so because I was talking to like Chris on the way up one of these days because we were talking about Rogue One and how you look at like I, cause I, saw, I think it was like when the cast list they put that big splash up of all the main stars yeah. and it's like this huge thing of diversity and it's like well you don't it's not like you necessarily need to have diverse casts because they make better movies mm-hmm. but you need to have diverse casts so that in the future you can have diverse casts so that when you like say oh I want to cast this person as this the studios don't tell you no, no one will watch an Asian actor right. as a lead. Well, I mean, yeah, that's definitely true. It's definitely. And you're like, but no, no, this person is like ideal for this role. Be like, no, it won't sell. Yeah, so Ganja and Hess will probably watch Ganja and Hess. Okay. That's a vampire movie from 1973. Ooh. And that stars. It's like almost an. It's like a black exploitation type movie. But okay. It's not. Um, it's not uh, exploitative in the same way that some of the other. Okay. Like, like Shaft was. Have you ever seen Black Dynamite? I've not seen Black Dynamite. I, I highly recommend Black Dynamite. So thanks for listening to episode 32 of the GoldenHR.com podcast. You can visit our website for more information, articles, and show notes. 
ebook is on Amazon, 99 cents. It's called All God This Year. If you like the podcast, please leave us a rating or review on iTunes. If you don't want to miss an episode, you can join our mailing list at our website or like us on facebook.com slash allgodthisyear. Follow me on Twitter at The Water Method or Andrew at Pizza Pranks. Andrew's website is pizzapranks.com. Our theme music is The Swan Lake Dove by Nabal.